Genesis 4, verse 17. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad was the father of Mahuyel, and Mahuyel was the father of Methushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His, father, his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. This is a written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. And he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years and then he died. Let's move to verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. When, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Let's move to verse 28. When Lamech has lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands, caused by the ground that the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years, and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, that's, a, that's an interesting passage that we read this morning. Yeah? Um, I didn't know Katrina was going to do the reading for me, but I'm really glad she did. Um, I thought I was going to have to read all those strange names, Katrina, but she did a good job um, with that. But that's, uh, that's Bible times. Um, but anyway, uh, great passage, but but really Really interesting passage, a bit crazy, isn't it? A bit crazy passage. Uh, Sarah and I were having our quiet time this morning, and um, Sarah was in, Sarah, where were you? You were in Numbers. Sarah was in Numbers. She didn't know I was going to say this either, so um, speaker's prerogative. <clears throat> but she was in Numbers, and it was really interesting because as she was reading Numbers, I was doing my quiet time, and um, she just said, that's some really strange stuff in the Bible. <laughs> that's really strange. And there is. There is. But, uh, you know, it's, 
it's good that it's strange in a sense, isn't it? Different times, <clears throat> different, different, um, just different world, really, in, in many ways. Same kind of issues for people, but, but very different in, in, in loads of different ways. And I, I think as you're going through Genesis, you'll, you'll, you'll pick loads of this up. I'm sure you have already. You'll just pick up some of the similarities. You'll read what's there and you'll just think, wow, that's, that's no different than, 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 than right here, right now, right? It's just, in, in some senses, our hearts and people and what they do and how they live and how they act is, is very simple. In other, other ways, like we've seen this morning, we'll see a little bit, um, some huge differences, isn't there? Huge, what a different world it was. Um, here, particularly pre-flood. So pre-flood, <clears throat> still, and, and, and so there's, a, there's a, a few things here in particular that are just really, really um, different. But that's good because it calls our attention to that and it helps us to, to maybe look a bit deeper and, and consider things a, a little bit more, um, I don't know, just consider things a, a, a little bit more seriously when it's different like that. Anyway, <clears throat> we're looking at 4 and 5, Genesis 4 and 5 um, this morning. The title that I've been given is The Search for the Savior. These two chapters, The Search for the Savior. And I, I, I think this is actually a brilliant title. I'm not quite sure who came up with the titles. Um, but I, I think it's a brilliant title because I, I think it's perfect for the context of the narrative um, at this particular point, Search for the Savior. I think that's just really perfect for where we are right now. Just as much, you could say, in a sense, <clears throat> that the search for the Savior, think about that, 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 that the concept of the search for the Savior, that is a, a, a perfect title for the context of, of the narrative really in one sense in any point in the Bible after Genesis 3.15. Think about it. Think about it. The, 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 the thought of the search for the Savior. The search for the Savior is, is really a fitting title for, for any context in the Bible after Genesis 3.15 where the hope of redemption is born. You know what I mean? Right? The fall comes in chapter 3, doesn't it? Sin enters the world in chapter 3. And immediately, everything turns on its head. Doesn't it? Immediately, everything turns on Everything is different. Fair? Come on, guys. Fair? Everything's different. Sin enters the world. Everything's different. You and I have never seen a world without sin. Have we? We've never seen, we've never lived in a body without sin. We've never been married to anybody without sin. We've never been in a family without sin. We've never been in a church without sin. Have we? We just don't know what it's like. We haven't, we actually haven't a clue. We get little glimpses. We get little glimpses, don't we? We get little glimpses. When somebody's life is turned around or when, when some indication or work of the Holy Spirit of God the perfect Spirit of God come out in our lives. And sometimes it astounds us more than it does anybody else. Wow, did I really do that? Did I really say that? Did that really come from? Where did that come from? Right? Because God said, so we get little glimpses, but we've never seen a world without sin. And so that's something to look forward to. Isn't that? That's something to look forward to. And so they're looking, so there's this sense. I want to just, I want to just throw this out there right at the very beginning. There's this sense. This is why I think this Title is really good, the search for the Savior. There's this sense of looking, 
right from, 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 from the, the moment of, of Genesis 3.15 when, 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 when there's this hope of redemption born, the promise of the serpent-crushing Savior is made. There's this sense now of anticipation. You with me? There's a sense of anticipation. We as believers live with a sense of anticipation, don't we? We live with a sense of anticipation because we're looking for that world to come. Hebrews talks a lot about that. We're looking for that world to come. We're, 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 we're looking for, anticipating the time where we'll actually be, be able to experience a world without sin. Incredible thought. What an incredible thought. But not yet. But not yet. It's still the search for the Savior. And so this crazy, this crazy time and this crazy passage that Katrina has read for us um, here in this bit. And uh, all I want to do this morning is, uh, it, it's a fairly complicated passage, a lot of complicated stuff in here when you really begin to dig it out. Um, but I'm not really a complicated, well, I was going to say I'm not a complicated guy. My wife might choose to disagree. But, 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 but um, I, 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 like, I like to try and be as simple as possible because I think maybe the, the simpler, the clearer, the better. And so just two very simple points that I want to make here this morning. Two big ideas that I think are, are fairly easy to, to grasp a hold of. And as we go through these, we'll, we'll rake our way through the passage as well and we'll pick some things up. But just two <clears throat> big ideas this morning. Number one, based on there's a search for a savior. Number one, <clears throat> there's a search for a savior here because my goodness, we need one. Amen? There's a search for a savior here because, boy, we really need one. Did you see this? Did you see this? Is this something you picked up as Katrina read? We need a Savior. The world needs help. It's all over, really, this passage. And we're really only getting started in the biblical narrative at this point. After the fall. We're really only getting started here in Genesis 4 and 5. And yet, what, what's all over the place here in these chapters that we've never seen before. What is it? You can't miss it. What's all over what Katrina read here that we've never seen before? No? I thought it was pretty clear. Death! 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 You can shout it out. If you're wrong, we'll forgive you. We're Christians. Right? Death! All over the place here. Did you notice there's not a single, ep- as far as I can tell, there's not a single episode here in this bit of this narrative that doesn't involve somebody either dying or being killed. Did you see that? It's not a single episode. Oh, okay. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Enoch's in the flow of a whole lot of other people dying. And don't steal my thunder. Let me get there. Let me get there. Very good. Very good, Dave. Okay, other than that, not a single episode in the narrative doesn't involve either death or somebody dying or being killed. And I think the, I think the author here, I believe the author here is, is throwing this in our face. I think he writes it this way for a reason. I think he's throwing this in our face with repetition again and again and again. Cain kills his brother Abel. And of course we know death has entered into the world. We know that death isn't just physical. Right? You understand that? 
We know that death isn't just physical. Death entered the world like God said it would the moment they sinned. Nobody's physically died up until this point in time, though. It's not, it's not the fullness of the manifestation physically hasn't come until now. When Cain kills his brother, Abel. Right? First person to physically die. And then Lamech, we're told. Lamech, Lamech he's, what a piece of work this guy is, isn't he? What a piece of work this guy is. He's, he, he, writes, he writes this song. Dave, I noticed that one of, the, one of the songs we sang this morning, you recomposed or whatever. Is that right? I saw your name at the bottom. Good job. Good job. Well done. Um, and, and, and I don't know. Lamech wrote a song. It's not the kind of song I would want to sing. But he writes a song about killing this young guy who apparently just hurt him in some way. He was going to take his vengeance. He's going to take his vengeance. What a, what a, 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 a tragic um, display of, of, of vengeance. And then eight times in chapter 5, we didn't read all the way through it, but eight times in chapter 5, it's just he died and 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 he died. Right? Listen, does anything strike you there? Anything strike you there? Right? Yeah, he died. Right? He died. The author's trying to get us to see that. He died. I think the author's trying to stop us dead in our tracks. No pun intended. He's just trying to stop us dead in our tracks. And he wants us to see how utterly contrary, <coughs> how utterly contrary this is to God's creative plan and to God's creative purpose. He wants us to see that. He wants, he wants us to feel the impact <coughs> of how awful this is. And how completely contrary this is to God and who he is. You get that? Are you getting that? He wants us to see that. And I think the reason he writes it the way that he writes it is he just wants us, he wants it to be right in our face. What death is. And how terrible it is. And it's not just death references either here. Right? Search for the Savior because we need one. It's not just death references that are here. The text here is just brimming. It's just brimming, isn't it? With, with just gut-wrenching reality that whatever happened in chapter 3, we're in chapter 4 now and 5, whatever happened in chapter 3 is absolutely destroying the human race, isn't it? Whatever happened back there, one chapter ago, is absolutely destroying devastating effects on humanity. Isn't that? Devastating effects. So I think he's maybe trying to point us back as well to look there a little bit deeper. Making a total mockery of the infinite beauty of the glorious image of God that we were created to express. Listen, can you feel, as you read this now, can you feel... If you've been reading through and, and, and walking through Genesis, which I think you, you have these last few weeks, can you now begin to feel this just kind of seeping depravity? You're beginning to feel that. It's just, it's, it's just seeping in. It's leaking in all over the place. Just staining everything, everything, everywhere. And we haven't even gotten to chapter 6 yet. We haven't even gotten to chapter 6 yet. That's coming. And there's death and there's pride and there's boasting and there's polygamy and just utter decay. You see it. You see it. It's very clear in this passage. In fact, do you notice one of the crazy things here 
that almost everybody who reads this text picks up on. Um, It's something that's just so bizarre from our point of view. Okay, the hint is the children's talk. The hint is the children. Just something really, like every Q&A that I've ever gone to, you know, grill a Christian or grill a pastor or whatever else, there's always a question asked about what? How long would you, you don't really believe that people really live that long, do you? You know, it's, I, I, I get that question all the time. Maybe you have as well from a neighbor or what. What do you mean you believe the Bible? Well, for instance, what about, you know, I remember reading or somebody telling me that these people lived till they were, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Did you see that? So that's another shot that stops you dead in your tracks. Again, that you have to. You read that and you, you can't help but read that and just think, is it a misprint? Is he having a laugh? Or was it real? And if it's real, it's just so different from now, isn't it? So different from now. It's just something else that's here that just causes us to, to stand, to sit up and take note. The length of the lifespan that these guys lived. Starting in chapter 5, verse 5, Adam, 930 years. Seth, 912 years. Enosh, 905 years. Methuselah, longest man to ever live, six, 969 years old. It's staggering. It's staggering. And it's written and it's printed and it's given to us in a historical account, so I guess we have to believe that what? That's true. It happened. It happened. We have to believe that it's true. The author's not, you know, we don't get any sense that he's messing around here or that he's playing with our heads here. He's just writing it. He's telling it like it is. He's telling it like it is. And rather than asking why at this point, because you can go in and you can read the papers and you can read the commentaries. And, but rather than necessarily asking why, maybe it was prophetic, maybe it was genetic. There's all different kind of arguments here as to why did they live that long. The real answer is that God doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us a why. That He doesn't just say after this and, and then, you know, this is why it changed or whatever. We're, I think he, we're asked to think. You ever find that with the Bible? You read in the Bible, like my wife was this morning, or we just read this passage, and yeah, some of the stuff in the Bible is really tough. God asks us to think, guys, isn't he? He asks us to think. He asks us to do more Bible study. He asks us to have home groups or life groups, or and to dig deeper, and to come on Sundays, and to listen, and to open our Bibles. He asks us to do that. Because it's just rich stuff here. There's rich stuff here. He doesn't tell us why. He asks us to think. What he does tell us is that these guys got really old. That's what he tells us. They got really old. And, and, and immediately, what does that tell you when you compare that to today? What does that tell you? They got really old. We're not that old. What does that tell you? Between now and then, what's happened? It's a word that begins with a D. Yeah, well, Decay, deterioration. What was I? You, you gave me another one. <laughs> Time dilation. Okay, that probably happened as well. But you can explain that to us afterwards. <laughs> All right, serious deterioration. Serious deterioration. You don't have to have a, you know, a doctorate to understand that. Serious deterioration. The reasons for that are debated, but serious deterioration. Yes, modern medicine. We say, well, modern medicine has done some things to lengthen the lifespan a bit. Not this long. Not this long. You get that? 
And I think the contrast is that God knew that medical science in the 21st century was going to help us live a little bit longer. Not this long. Something's happened. Something's happened. Something serious has, has happened. So what do you think the author might be trying to tell us again here? Maybe that as we look back at whatever happened in chapter 3 has brought some massive deterioration to the human race. Okay, you with me? Because this is, you know, this is, this is just set out sequentially. Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, now 4 and 5. Massive deterioration. And so here's the point. Here's the point. All of that, all that death and destruction and deterioration, all that, as we begin to think and dig deeper, we begin to realize that all that is just a monumental symptom of the real disease. Is that not true? It's all a monumental symptom of the real disease that entered the world at that moment, at the beginning of chapter 3. The Bible calls sin or curse or falling short of the glory of God or however you want to put it. And according to God, there's only one way out. Amen? There's only one way out. So we need a Savior. Search for the Savior. Search for the Savior. We need, why, why are we looking for one? Because, my goodness, we need one. Doesn't our world? Don't you? Right? We need a Savior. We need a Savior. Listen to Romans 5, verse 12. For just as sin entered the world through one man, Genesis chapter 3, just as sin entered the world through what a, what a, what a, explosive little phrase. It's just a little phrase, but my goodness, the story that tells, doesn't it? We're just beginning to realize that in Genesis 4 and 5. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Genesis 4 and 5. Death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sin. And just as the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more does God's grace and gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Search for Savior. Search for Savior. Guys, the world's looking for one. They wouldn't tell you they're looking for a savior. They'll tell you they're looking for something else. But we know what they're looking for. We know what's going to fill them. Because it's filled us, right? We know what it is. Search for a savior. So you get that. So there's a search for a savior because we need one. And then second, just two points this morning. Second point, final point. There's a search for a savior because we need one. There's a search for a savior because God's promised one. So God's told us one's coming, so we're looking. Right? We're followers of, of the Lord. We, we're his people. We listen to what he says. He's, he said one's coming. <clears throat> so if he said one's coming and he's, you know, he doesn't lie, then what? One's coming. So we better be looking. We better be looking. And so they're looking. There's this sense of looking. There's this sense of searching. And you'll see this right the way through the Bible. But right back to Genesis 3.15. 
right back to Genesis 3.15 and the seed of the woman who is going to crush the head of the serpent or if you like, who's going to deal with the issue of sin. That's what that's all about, isn't it? Just put it simply. He's going to deal with the issue of sin. And so right from the very moment that God uttered that prophetic promise, the biblical narrative becomes a search for a savior. Isn't it? You could say the rest of the Bible, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. It becomes a search for your savior. They're looking. They're looking. Read through the Bible and just see it. Watch them stretching their necks out to see. In fact, you can almost see in the turn of every page, the the birth of every child There's almost a a palpable anticipation as to whether or not this is going to be the one. Is this the one now? Is this the one now? Is this the one now? They're looking. They thought John the Baptist was him. It wasn't. John just came to pave the way. But they thought it was him because they were looking. They were looking. They were looking. They were waiting. Remember the guy in the temple who took the baby in his arms? He was waiting. Simeon was waiting. Looking, waiting. We've, uh, as I'm sure you do, we've got folks that we stand behind in missions. And, and a number of our missionaries um, have been in, in, um, in Papua New Guinea. And um, one of the families that was, was out there, I remember them telling us, they, they use New Tribes Mission. They, they use a process called Creation to Christ. Um, foundations, they call it Creation to Christ. And so they just tell the story. And it's amazing. They tell the story to these people who've never heard it before. There's no church on a street corner. There aren't any street corners in the jungle. And they tell the story to people who've never heard it before. And I remember these guys coming back and sharing with us on one of their furloughs and just saying, well, we started to teach from, you know, right from the start, from creation. One God He's creator of heaven and earth. He's brought us into being. And then, and then the fall. And then right from there, they began to see these natives just looking. Every person at Noah, they thought Noah, they thought, they thought it was Noah. It's no, it's him, it's Noah, isn't it? They said, no, 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 it's not Noah. So they went back on, you know, from Noah and then they said, Abraham, it's Abraham, it's Abraham, isn't it Abraham? No, no, it's not, not Abraham. And then they came and it's David and they did the same thing with David and some of the prophets and then John about, John, it's John, it's his, John the Baptist. No, it's not John. And then finally he comes and it's him. And they could see, you could just see the, 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 the way in which these people who'd never heard it before were just so relieved to know that he came. They were looking. They were looking. They were waiting. They were looking. Genesis 1.26 tells us that God created man in his image, right? God created man in his image according to his likeness. And so he did until the man fell and the corruption of sin and destruction of the image came into the world. Man was lived for a time in the likeness of God. In his image, according to his likeness. But now Genesis 5.3, look at Genesis 5.3. Now Genesis 5.3 tells us that Adam begot a son in his own likeness. And then after his image. And my goodness, that's absolutely right. And that's absolutely key. Because to be created in God's image, listen. To be created in God's image was to be sinless. Right? To be created in God's image was to be sinless. But now after the corruption of sin, to be created in Adam's image was sinful. Because every one of those people died. As Romans says, death spread to all men because all sinned. And yet God's purpose from the very beginning was to bring another man. Wasn't it? 
seed of the woman. Another man. Another man. Another man who's human. Really human. Really human. He was born just like every other human was born. Same way, same process. But there's a punchline. Because not only was he human, he was divine. He was the God-man. But he was coming. He was coming. And that was God's purpose from the very beginning. And by and large, the Bible narrative is almost entirely about the story of that man's coming. And one of the reasons for the genealogies in the Bible, that chapter 5 starts with, one of the reasons for the genealogies in the Bible is to remind us that at some point, one of those names is going to be him. You get it? It's one of the reasons for the genealogies in the Bible. That at some point, one of those names is going to be him. Because there's a man coming. And so genealogies just tell us about the history of man. And he begat so-and-so. And and they give us all the names we can't pronounce. And all that stuff, right? And then so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And what is he doing? We're, We're looking, we're waiting because God's promised a Savior. So we're waiting, we're searching, we're looking. At some point in time, if you follow those genealogies through, it's going to be him. It's going to be a whole lot of names before that that aren't him. But at some point, it's going to be him. It's incredible. As far as I can tell, genealogies do two things. First, they provide a historical account of lineage so that you can trace the roots back to and through your ancestors. Right the way back, you notice where this genealogy starts? Where's this genealogy start? With who? God. Right the way back to God. Right the way back to the first creation. The the Bible gives us genealogies to do that. Trace it right the way back to God. Think about that. Think about that. What God's given us here with genealogies. Absolutely amazing. Right back to the beginning. So genealogy helps us to look back to the very roots of our ancestry. But genealogy also helps us to look forward. Think about it. We always think of genealogies as looking back. They also help us to look forward by perpetuating this, this generational repopulation of the race in the fulfillment of the promise that God made. In the fulfillment of the promise. You know what I mean? Because here's another seed of the woman. Every time somebody's born, here's another seed of the woman. And here's another seed of the woman. And here's another seed of the woman. Every time somebody's born. Why do you think the Bible does that? Because one day, one of those seeds is going to be the seed. It's going to be the seed. Who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And in that sense, every biblical genealogy, you could say it's a hyperlink. It's like a hyperlink back to Genesis 3.15. It's like a hyperlink. You click on that genealogy, whoop, it brings you right back to that promise. One of these guys is going to be him. From With every new baby born from creation to Christ, the question comes afresh, is this the one? You just feel the tension through the story of the Bible. It's amazing. With every turn of the page, there's a new hope dawning. Because the world's a mess. And our hearts are in a mess. And we need hope. And with every turn of the page of the Bible, there's a new hope dawning. And so, do you see anybody here in this massive list of names who illustrates that hope? Thank you. Thank you. Right? Just, I mean, talk about a standout. 
Right? Talk about a standout or somebody who's outstanding in this text. There's only there's one guy who's really outstanding here, isn't it? He's different from everybody else. Everybody else. He's a standout because he illustrates hope. He illustrates hope. That death and sin and decay do not have to be the final word. You see it? You see, it's like the author just, I mean, it's true. There wasn't Enoch, a literal Enoch, and he lived as long as he did, and he was in the story and in that genealogy. But it's almost as if you could see the writer here smiling away as he throws this little bit in. Because in the midst of everything, it's all, there's no hope there. It's all death and death and killing and hate and pollution and corruption. It's all it is, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. Whoop, he inserts this little ray of light. Which is Enoch. You see it. I'm not, I'm not winning you guys this morning, am I? I mean, this is amazing. It's amazing. You're taking it for granted because you've read it so many times. But it's really powerful. Really powerful. Enoch, what an enigma this guy is. We don't have time to go into it all. Do an Enoch study yourself. But as far as we can tell, he's the one man in the list who never dies. It's the only guy in the list here. Who never dies. Told that he, he's a man who's, who's it's very interesting. We're told he's a man who's, who walks faithfully with God. Watch that. Don't miss that. He's a man who walks faithfully with God. That's an Old Testament way of saying he was a believer. It's an Old Testament way of saying he's a believer. So he's a believer. He's walking faithfully with God as a believer. And we're told that he walks just, just right out of this life and into the next without passing through death. And, and as I think about that, I'm, there's a couple of verses in the New Testament, but particularly where Jesus says to Martha in John 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never, never die. Never die. Who's that? That's Enoch. Didn't die. He just walked right lit. As far as we can tell, as far as we can tell, there's not, there's not a whole lot to go on, but as far as we can tell, it's what happened. And people may say they just went out one, you know, they went out for a walk one day and God just said, well, we're closer to my home than yours. Just come with me. And whoop, he just took him. He just took, that's what he says. That's, that's the way it's worded. He just took him. Never die. Is that not amazing? Is that, there's a, there's, he's writing that for a reason, guys. He's right. That's gospel stuff. That's gospel. That's gospel in, in, in Genesis 5. That's gospel in Genesis 5. Because the Bible tells us that every one of us, every human being, any human being who puts their faith and trust in the Savior that we search for, or maybe even more amazing, the Savior who searches for us. Amen. The Savior who searches for us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, we're told. That every one of those who put their faith and trust in Christ will never die. Will never die. And just as the moment comes for whoever it is and those jaws of death are about to close. Somebody's lying on their deathbed. A believer is lying on their deathbed. And we say, oh, they don't have much long to go. What do we mean by that? They don't have much long to, longer to go. And just at that moment, you may have 
had the incredible privilege of holding someone's hand who's a, who's a Jesus follower who's been given eternal life. So think about that. At the moment that you think they're dying, they have eternal life. What are you doing? What are you doing? The moment you think they're dying, they have eternal life. God promised that to them. And at that very moment that we think death has snatched them away, they've just gone, they've just walked into life. That's not a thought. Is that amazing? They've just walked in. Listen, that's the message we've got, folks. That's the hope we have. Hallelujah. We're saying hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We sang it this morning. That's hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Isn't it? So I hope you're trusting in him this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for the thoughts. Thank you for the Savior. That uh, in one way we are searching for, but in another amazing way is searching for us. Come to seek and save the lost. And so here we are, Lord. We, there's those of us who are here can say that we've, we're lost, but now we're found. Amen to that. Help us, Lord, to propagate this message so that many more around us will be found and experience the incredible blessing of forgiveness and reconciliation and eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.